Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is the wonderful human is Harry Murray MBE, Chairman of Luckman Park and all-round hospitality legend. Coming up on today's show... Harry and Phil get off to a shaky start. I'm a keen Manchester United supporter. Oh, I think we might have to end the conversation right there. Phil has a go at Harry. Yeah, you, you, you just, you can't help yourself, can you? Just inspiring people all the time. And Harry tells us about some of the advantages of running high-profile hotels. The most exciting thing for me during that period was that President Mandela would come to the hotel sometimes twice a week. All that and so much more as Harry talks us through his amazing story and journey to date. Harry has built a career on the back of having a very clear vision at an early age, but he's backed that up with one very simple ethos. Respect. It really is amazing what can be achieved when you show those around you a little bit of kindness and respect. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode every Wednesday, so make sure you hit subscribe and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Let's share these amazing stories as far as we can. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Now, today I bring you some hospitality royalty. Currently, the president of HOSPA, the governor of the Royal Academy of Culinary Arts, a master inholder, a past chair of the master inholders, a liveryman of the Worshipful, Comp- Worshipful Company of Inholders. I knew I was gonna, wasn't going to get through this without a mistake. Uh, a fellow of the Institute of Hospitality, a committee member of the UK Hospitality, life patron of Springboard, ambassador and patron at Hospitality Action, and chairman of Lucknam Park. And that's not even covering off any of the awards that he's won in his illustrious career. I am delightful to welcome, and I really don't know how he's made time for us today, but um, welcome Harry Murray, MBE. Thank you, Phil, and delighted to be on your program. Thank you very much for, for coming on. I, I mean, when you sent me through your bio and I was reading through the list of things, I mean, you know, okay, you've been in the hospitality industry for a couple of years now. I think that's yeah. fair to say. But yeah, I mean, that's a hell of a rap sheet you've got. Well, firstly, Phil, I know you share this, but hospitality industry is the best industry in the world. Yeah. And I've had a great career and still have the same passion for hospitality as when I started. Um, And I don't think there's many careers when people can say that. But I believe that the hospitality industry is is close to show business. You know, we put on the uniform, we climb on stage and we perform. And we and we feed off the applause, which is, you know, what makes it so great. And and you know, it's often described as you know, we're in the happiness business. You know, we make people happy, and it's very rewarding. Yeah, I remember seeing you at an event actually that was put on by David Guile, a leadership event, and um, you had a very clear message, which I've never ever forgotten, around the fact that uh, the line that you used was that this is the industry of dreams. Yeah, and I've all I've just I took that forward with me everywhere I go, and I, I and it, and to be honest, it was kind of the last piece of the jigsaw for me to. I was trying to figure out a way to verbalize how I felt about this industry, and you summed it up in that one line. Yeah, but it is it is rewarding, and and you know, I was very fortunate that at the age of thirteen, I wanted to 
you know, my vision was to manage a five-star hotel. Right. You know, I mean, nobody in my family is in hospitality. And, you know, here I was as a 13-year-old living in a council house in Salford. And, you know, my dream was to manage a five-star hotel. And um, nothing was going to stop me. That's that's incredible, actually, because uh, we we talk. I've spoken to an awful lot of people now on on the show, and it's not. I mean, it's quite rare to have such a clear vision at such a young age. Well, I think it is important to have a vision, whatever you do, whether mm. you know in business, in sport. You know, if you think, you know, I often compare business to to sport, and if you observe any any sportsman he very often or she very often has a clear vision. I want to win an Olympic gold medal. I want to win, you know, the Masters golf. I want to win, you know, a rugby World Cup or whatever. Yeah. And when you have that vision, you know, you, you, you start, and in the case of sport, you train hard, you work hard. And it's exactly the same, I believe, in business, that if you have a clear vision, you know, obstacles will come in your way, but you just climb over them, climb under them, move them to one side. Yeah. And that is what I recommend to, to, to any young person is, is, you know, if you get in a car and you don't know where you're going, you, you'll go around in circles. And, yeah. and, and that very often happens with a lot of people. Absolutely. I, I think that starting with the end in mind is, is a very good place to start. But I think also importantly, that that path to get there is, unlikely to be very straight there's going to be all manner of little side roads that you need to go down and uh, and explore and all sorts of things but I, I completely agree with you i think you you've got to have a vision of some sorts to to know why you're getting out of bed every day right um so at 13 years old you had this vision what what did you do with that vision well it started because i i'm i'm a keen manchester united supporter Oh, I think we might have to end the conversation right there. (laughs) And um, well, I'm married to a Manchester City supporter, can you believe it? Right, okay. I've been married a long time. And and of course, you can imagine this year that Manchester City have won the Premiership. So I've heard that more than once over the past few weeks. But (laughs) um, I used to walk from my home in Salford to Old Trafford. And right. when I walked to Old Trafford, I walked past the Midland Hotel in Manchester. Mm. And I could look through the windows and I could see all the chefs working in the kitchen. And I think that's that's how it started. That when I saw that, and I'd walk round the front door, and I mean, it just shows you how times have changed. I would never have thought of walking through the front door. I mean, I think a 13 or 14 year old would do that now. Yeah. But I would never have thought. But I used to see the doorman with his crombie overcoat and his top hat, opening taxi doors and car doors and people walking through into the hotel. It's a magnificent hotel. Mm. And, you know, and I, I sort of, I think that's, that's where it started. My view was to manage a hotel like that. And so my career started at uh, Salford Tech. I mean, the, the thought of, going to university to get a degree in those days. You know, my mother and father, my father was 12 years in the Navy. My mother was a machinist and they worked extremely hard. And all my values 
came from them. Yeah. And so I went to Solvatec and I did a higher national diploma in catering. It was a two-year course. And again, during that time, to earn extra money, I worked at the Midland Hotel in banqueting. Okay, yeah. Uh, and in fact, uh, I was actually stopped because at one stage I was working five or six nights a week and I used to catch the bus home and would fall asleep on the bus because, you know, I'd finish at 11 o'clock at night and then would have to be up to, to go to college the following day. And in fact, you know, the head of the department said, I think, I think you should reduce it to three nights a week. Okay. <laughs> um, but I loved it so much, apart from the fact that I was earning money, but actually waiting on at the tables uh, for banquets, silver service, full silver service is what I was doing. And so a, a great learning curve at a very early age. And of course, helped me in college as well, because, you know, doing the college, serving five or six people was easy compared with, you know, serving 10 people at the banquet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're backing up your, your theoretical knowledge as well by yeah. you're getting actual real world experience. Yeah. And then in the summer months, my first summer, I went to Butlin, uh, to yeah, to, to to Butlin's holiday camp, right. And there I worked in the kitchens during the day and in the bars in the evening. Perhaps a, a quick swim in the afternoon and then change, and then in the bars in the evening. And that right. was seven, that was seven days a week for seven weeks of the summer. Again, incredible experience. I mean. We would serve two thousand breakfasts. Uh, you know, I'd start with breakfast, oh, and and one person broke eggs, another person grilled the bacon, somebody else took it out, put it on a plate, put it into a, a, a trolley, a, a warm trolley, and then that was wheeled to the table. I mean, again, incre incredible experience at a very early age. Yeah, but I loved. Every, it wasn't work to me. Yeah, well, I I think when you're all of these things, I mean, so many different arms to hospitality, isn't there? I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, you, your career has culminated in you you're fulfilling your vision. But it's just, I find it really interesting to to learn about the intricacies of how you've got there because it's not, yes, okay, you've gone off and got some five-star experience fairly early on in your career, but also you're tending bar and you're, you're I don't know, cracking eggs in, in butlins. Yeah. You wouldn't have necessarily thought that that was the the path that you would take to to get to where you ended up. What it does, Phil, and this this is important, is when you've done it and you realise, you know, the hard work involved, mm. you appreciate those jobs. So yeah. I mean, the man washing the pans, you know, the the man washing the dishes, he's important. Absolutely. And 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 it teaches you uh, a great deal about self discipline. You know, you know, you've got to be there on time. You've got to, you play your part. You're part of a team. You know, the person on your right, person on your left, is all part of your team, and and you're you're a cog in that wheel. And I think that, you know, I've never found leadership difficult because. You know, there's some very simple rules. Treat other people as you want to be treated yourself. Here, here. Respect yeah. every person, you know, and have integrity. Be honest with people. And and I think, you know, when, when you look at leadership, I mean, whether it's government, whether it's business, where there's no integrity, it fails eventually. 
Yeah. And and that's what I found, you know, within the hospitality. If you if if you've got integrity, if you've got values, if you if you respect people, it is not difficult. And also, you know, we're going through a crisis at the moment with staffing. But you know, if you really look after staff, if you treat staff as family, you know, they will, you know, I mean, it's a, a well-known saying: they'll run through a brick wall for you. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, it, it just, it always amazes me that it's actually, it's usually the sim- simplest philosophies that are the best. Yeah. And you know, that, that's a case in point because, you know, you, you just have to put yourself into the shoes of any situation that you're in. Yeah. How would I like to be treated if I was in that yeah. position? And that's, that's the same if you're, you're dealing with a guest or a, a member of the team, right? I mean, it's, and I suppose as well, having, seen different and we'll walk through the rest of your your career shortly but you know you've seen a diverse range of hospitality places you know at quite a young age yeah so you're you're already you're gathering a skill set which you can't really I, I suppose put a price on it just you know you probably don't even know that you're retaining things that will help you in a a, a later stage well another another thing that helped me phil was my my father spent 12 years in, in submarines, uh, right right through the Second World War. Wow. And when he came out, I mean, I was nine years of age when he came out of the Navy. And what really stuck with me was the way he was treated when he started work. Right. He wasn't treated with the greatest res- of respect. Really? Right. Um, he worked hard, but many of his superiors were university graduates who had not been in the forces. They had not had a great deal of experience, but they had a degree. But they treated him, they didn't treat him with respect. And he'd come home after sometimes working a 12-hour day. I could see, I mean, he he didn't sort of tell us anything, but I I knew from my mother that, that, you know, he'd suffered with with these people. And... Mm. You know, I swore then that I, <clears throat> I would never, ever, you know, treat people. I get emotional, Phil. Yeah, no, that's that's I can I can sense it, and it's completely understandable. But you can see why you don't forget it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, these are lessons you take with you. You know, if you can see that firsthand, and it's having a, a an impact on your family and your and this is this is long before i mean these things are talked talked about quite openly now but uh, i'd imagine back then they were kind of swept under the carpet they were and 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 that that was the problem and i think that's what happens i see it now i mean i actually see it now with 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 some companies and and and, and even some some hospitality businesses where you know, people, I mean, I, I mentor six or seven people mm. and I, I get feedback on how people are treated. And, and it, it, it actually hurts me to think that you can make someone's life, not only their life of misery, but their family life of misery. Yeah. And it's so unnecessary. Totally. You know. It's, it's just a complete lack of respect. Yeah. That's, that's the word. No respect for people's individual circumstances or journeys. So, so, so that that really, you know, the values from my parents, the work ethic, 
the lesson of respect really has helped me right throughout my career. And that's why I say I've never found leadership difficult because they are basic and simple rules. Mm. The skills and the talent, I mean, those are things you've got to learn. But at the end of the day, I mean, again, uh, my other philosophy is any success I've had, any those, those accolades, any success I've had has been due to, you know, sort of surrounding me myself with people with with more talent, more experience, more skills than I have, yeah. and having the ability to motivate them. And 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 you know, when you think about it, you can't do every job yourself. You've got to depend on other people. Absolutely. And so I've 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 found that being able to inspire and motivate people is what has helped me to 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 be successful in, in what I've done. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So you were tending bar and flipping eggs yeah. in Butlins. Yeah. Where did you move, move well, to then, next? Then came the first hurdle. Okay. Because I applied to the Midland Hotel. I wanted to be a training manager. I wanted to get on that first rung of the ladder. Mm. You know, my aim was work in all departments. I, I mapped out what I wanted to do. And the first hurdle I came up was the general manager of the Midland Hotel was an ex-major in the army. In those days, very often, heads of hotels came from slightly different backgrounds. Not all of them had gone through all the departments and whatever. You, 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 the more figureheads. I mean, you very often had managers in those days. You never you know, went in back of a house or, 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 you know, sort of did all the jobs that a hotelier does today. Mm. He's very much, a, you know, a very smart figurehead. And and what he said to me was, I, I think you would be better working in the kitchen. And I said, well, I'm happy to work in the kitchen, but I also, you know, want to work in the restaurant. I want to work in the bars. I want to, well, let's, why don't you do an apprenticeship first? Okay. And I thought about that and, and, because I'd done two years, in those days, uh, an apprenticeship was five years. Mm. Uh, but because I'd done two years at college, it, it was reduced to three years because I didn't have to go one day a week to college because I'd already got, you know, my city and gills and, and, and waiting and, and health and safety, uh, health and hygiene exams and so forth. So yeah. I did a three-year apprenticeship. And... Quite honestly, I mean, I absolutely love the kitchen. Right. Um, and I got to chef de party level. I mean, quite quite incredible. I think mainly because of all the experience I'd had, you know, during sort of working in the summer months and and working in, 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 in banqueting and so forth. Mm. I And then at the end of my three-year apprenticeship, I went to the George Sank in Paris to work. Nice and worked in there, worked in the kitchen, worked in room service, and also spent summer season at the Westminster Hotel in the 2K. And so I was determined and, and took less money. I mean, you know, stepped down in salary to, to go to, to France. I mean, you know, they, they looked down on us in those days as, you know, you English, you know, you know nothing about cooking. I mean, yeah. <laughs> at the middle in the kitchen, it, it it, it, there were 57 chefs in the kitchen right. and the only, everything was in French. All the menus were in French. I mean, I learned 
uh, about vegetables in in French before I knew the English name. Um, right. You know, I'd never seen broccoli. I'd never seen a lot of the vegetables that they had there. I'd never seen artichokes and, you know, I'd never seen most of these foods. Did you speak French before you, you arrived no, there? Or? No, uh, I, I, I studied French uh, and tried uh, even at college to, to learn French, but until I actually got to France. But I mean, my God, when you work in there, you soon you soon learn the language. I bet, yeah. And you, you know, I had a French girlfriend, which helped. <laughs> and then, then I came back and there was a vacancy. Uh, I, I, I then came back and I, I worked in a, a sort of, you know, I'd, I'd sort of wanted to then work in accounts. I wanted to work in reception. And um, I took a job for a year in, in, in St. Anne's and uh, near Blackpool. Yeah, beautiful part of the world. And, and the man who owned the hotel had worked at Glen Eagles. He'd owned the Savoy Hotel in Blackpool. And then he bought this small hotel called the Glendower. And I worked there and I, I did the accounts. I did the reception and, uh, you know, got the, the sort of financial arm of my plan out of the way right and then after a year of doing that i went it's no longer there but i went to the grand hotel in manchester as a junior assistant manager i was 23 years of age okay. uh, by now and i was a junior assistant manager and there were three senior managers above me and i thought well I need to do four or five years at this hotel to climb up this tree. Within three years, I was deputy general manager of that hotel. Wow. Um, live in and the two more senior managers had left to, to, to go and manage hotels elsewhere. This, this was an ex, I think it had been part of, it was a, a Frederick Hotel, which was quite a, it's a small group of hotels in those days, about eight or mm -hmm. nine hotels. And uh, they had the Russell Hotel in London. They had the Majestic Hotel in Harrogate, the North Stafford Hotel in Stoke-on-Trent. A nice group of, of four-star hotels. And here I am, I'm Deputy General Manager, eventually within a few months made resident manager. Right. And the general manager, would you believe it, he, he, he had a bungalow in St. Anne's and every Friday afternoon would go off to St. Anne's till Monday evening. Right. I never moved out of that hotel during that period because I was frightened of something going wrong. But here you had a hotel with four or five banqueting suites for banquets up to 250. The hotel had 200 rooms. And here I am now sort of 26 years of age and I'm resident manager of the hotel. Yeah, well, I, the the old sports adage of if you're if you're good enough you're old enough. Yeah. But I think I think it was down to the fact that the, the boss who was in his 60s which seemed old in those days it's young to me nowadays. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I I probably learned more during that period than than any part of my career because you know, it, it, there, there, there were 250 staff and here I am, a, you know, many of them, many of them, restaurant manager, banqueting manager, chef, all older than me. 
But again, it came back to the respect, respecting them, supporting them, being there for them. And, and, and that was a huge learning curve. And I met my wife there waiting for a bride. I was there on a Saturday one day and we got four weddings and up the steps comes this young girl uh, who was eventually to become my wife. So Fantastic. Uh, happy memories of the Grand Hotel in Manchester. Yeah. And I went and, and it, you know, very old fashioned in those days, because when we got engaged, uh, I asked her to get a job elsewhere, which didn't go down too well at the time. Um, <laughs> and also said, I would not get married until I was a general manager. And would you believe it? In February 1967, at the age of just 27, I was appointed general manager of the North Stafford Hotel in Stoke-on-Trent. Right. And same group. And at the age of 27, here I was general manager of a hotel. And I didn't know a great deal about the hotel. And when I went for the interview, I went by train from Manchester to Stoke-on-Trent. And I'll always remember getting out of the train, coming out of the station, got into a taxi and said, can you take me to the North Stafford Hotel? And the taxi driver got out of the car. And I thought, what, 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 where's he off? And he opened <laughs> the door on the other side and said, there's a hotel. And the hotel was right opposite the station. It was an ex-British <laughs> transport hotel. The Midland Hotel, where I started, was British transport. And this North Stafford Hotel had been a British transport hotel. Right. But now part of the Frederick Hotel. And here I was in a 70-bedroom hotel with banqueting for 300 people and general manager. And I got married in the August. And in those days, I mean, I spent most of my career living in and, and so got married in the August. And my wife and I lived in the hotel. And um, within 18 months of managing that hotel, I was promoted to the Majestic Hotel in Harrogate, right. which in those days was a five-star hotel, magnificent red brick, beautiful hotel in the center of Harrogate. You would, um, you would hope with a name like Majestic that it would yeah. have some endearing qualities. Yeah. And I sort of, you know, that that was a much larger hotel, I think, from memory that at about 170, 180 rooms, and um, quite a tough hotel. It, 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 you know, it was coming out of a period of not not black tie dancing, white tie dancing, okay. uh, orchestra playing, and um, you know, sort of steeped in history, and um, had been seconded in the war. Churchill used to meet there, and in fact, the Germans tried to bomb the hotel. A bomb actually hit the hotel, went through to the second floor, along the corridor of the second floor, but didn't explode. And the, wow. and, and, and the, there were all kinds of, you know, history about the hotel. And um, uh, so, so, yes, I managed that hotel. And again, not, not for very long, because the company had a, a leased a hotel in South Africa. Right. And they had leased the, the, the President Hotel 
in Johannesburg and I became general manager of the President Hotel in Johannesburg, which was a magnificent hotel, 30 floors with an outdoor, with a swimming pool on the deck of the hotel and five stars. And the hotel company was 40 and they'd acquired this hotel and it was one of the most beautiful hotels, you know, uh, 20 suites, uh, banqueting up to 500 people. And here I was at the age of, of 32, general manager of, of 31, I think it was 31, right. uh, manager of, of this magnificent hotel. Fantastic. And you've just given me a bit of a, a flashback to a conversation that I had with somebody else, Andrew Coggins, who spoke very highly of you from his time in South Africa as well. Which, in fact, is, is fast forward because from the president, I was approached during my time at the president, I was approached by Sol Kersner, who I'm sure you've heard of. Yeah, for sure. Sol Kersner was, had acquired a hotel 500 yards down the road from the president and was, in fact, had stopped. The hotel was being built as a four-star hotel and he stopped all building because he wanted a five-star hotel in Johannesburg. Right. So he'd stopped all building and he'd taken the top two floors of the hotel and converted them to two presidential suites plus uh, 14 other suites to make it a five-star luxury hotel and approached me after I'd been at the president. I think I'd been at the president for two years, but in, in, in 1973, I opened that hotel as a five-star hotel. And in, in South Africa in those days, you had to wait a year, almost a year, before you got your five-star ratings, which, which was probably you know, one of the highlights of my career is actually earning five stars, not, not inheriting five stars, but actually yeah. earning five stars. And, yeah. and still, still only 33 years of age. That's mad. But yeah, as as discussed, if you're if you're good enough, you're old enough, and and actually yeah. by this time you're you're quite experienced as well. Well, it, you know what it does is is you gain confidence. You, you you gain confidence because of your style of leadership. You know, treating people with respect. I mean, here I was in a country that didn't you know didn't respect everyone. I yeah. mean, we we know that. I mean, but I treated everybody the same. It didn't matter, you know, who they were, what color they were, they were treated with respect. And in fact, mm. the first time I've ever cried leaving a hotel was that hotel. Really? Because right. the, 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 they made me a chief. Ah, oh, goodness. And, and at that time, my father died in, 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 and, and I came home because my father had died. And I I'd spent three years running that hotel. But I felt I, I was I was letting them down by leaving, right. because you know I did care about them. Yeah. So um, the reason I came back then, as I say, my father died. But uh, one of my mentors in those days was a man called Dennis Hearn, who okay. was sort of managing director of. Uh, it was then now Trust House Forty, because Forty had, mer had merged with Trust Houses. And 
Dennis Hearn had come out to South Africa on a number of occasions. He actually had friends out there and he'd come out on a number of occasions with his son, Grant Hearn, who you've probably heard of. Mm. And Dennis Hearn had got in mind the Imperial Hotel in Torquay that had, you know, was a bit of an institution under a man called Michael Chapman. Michael Chapman had owned the hotel, sold it to Trust Houses, Trust Houses merged with 40. But here was a magnificent five-star hotel in Torquay, the English Riviera, and he wanted me. Michael Chapman was sort of stepping down, and he wanted me to take over that hotel. And um, so in 1976, I came, I, I went to Torquay, and I stayed there for 18 years. And I suppose that was... You know, the, 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 the sort of, uh, until Lutnam, that was the main part of my career. And that's where, yeah. you know, almost 40 years next year, I became a master in holder, uh, chairman of the master in holder. You know, it, it was uh, one of those hotels that was high profile. We, you know, we did gastronomic weekends. We did seven gastronomic weekends every year with visiting chefs. Even, you know, two Michelin star chefs uh, would visit the hotel for a weekend. And we would get 300 guests from Friday afternoon until Monday morning. Always full. I'll bet. Yeah, that sounds amazing. It it really was hospitality at its very best. And, and, you know, my, my career was based on visibility. It's something that I talk about now if I talk to students or talk to young managers or or talk to my mentees, is being visible, actually facing the customer. And at the same time as you're facing the customers, you're inspiring your staff, you're supporting your staff. Yeah. You're 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 covering what I call pinch points or pressure points. You know, breakfast is a pressure point. You know, there are certain times of the day that are pressure points, arrivals, departures are pressure points. And it's being visible and available to support. It's not checking on staff. It, it, it's supporting them. Yeah. I mean, I, I could spend all day and not, not do any work, just talk to customers and staff. Because if, if you've got the right staff and if they're doing their jobs, then your job is is there to be in a support role. And, uh, you know, it's the inverted triangle that that they're the ones facing the customers. They're the ones doing the work. And your job is to support them, not hinder them. And and what is interesting, Phil, is the more time you spend out on the floor, the less time you spend writing letters of apology or or spending time in in the office. You're actually doing it. You're doing it by you know what 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 is described as management by wandering around and uh, and it, and it works but yeah and you're you're also keeping your your team yeah. motivated yeah. because they they'll know that you've got their back if yeah. if they so need it and and it, and it's a good it's a good time to praise you know well done you're doing a good job mm. uh, and and i think that's that's the other interesting thing about it and it, and there's no question about it it works and what concerns me today is that, uh, you know, not everyone, but a lot of managers now spend far too much time on computers and not enough time, you know, checking on what's going on. I mean, out there, you can see everything. You, get, 
you can read people's faces. You know when people are not happy. Yeah. And you've only got to read through TripAdvisor. I go through TripAdvisor. I like to look through TripAdvisor, uh, even on the judging today, each hotel that's put forward for, for an award. I always, always check through TripAdvisor first because you can write a nomination and say how wonderful you are. But the only people who can judge you are the customers. Yeah. You know? And uh, so it, it's important. Yeah, absolutely. So you were here for 18 years. Yeah. I think you must have won some awards in that time. Well, the, the, the first one, which took me mostly by surprise, was uh, in 1986 when I got a, the founder of the Katie's, who was a man called Joe Hyam. And in 1986, I got a call, and, and, and it was a coveted award that people talked about all the time. Mm. And I remember getting this call, and I thought someone was actually imitating him. I thought someone <laughs> was having a joke. And um, that was, uh, as I say, that was 1986, and that was uh, Hotel, Hotel of the Year. Yeah. And my mentor, and almost a life mentor, was a man called Hotelier, a great hotelier, who was the manager of, of Claridge's, was Ron Jones. Okay. And Ron Jones was uh, responsible for me becoming a master in hold in 1982. He, he encouraged me. You had to write a paper. And uh, I wrote the paper and applied to the master in holders. You're then interviewed. And I became a master in holder. And then the year I... I became hotel of the year i was i became chairman of the master and holders mm. and i've seen you know the master and holders evolve during the you know the past 40 odd years yeah well i mean the i've actually uh, taken in a couple of recent webinars that they've run with having members of parliament coming in and have discussions and it's great to see i mean geez the the level of knowledge that must exist within the master and holders is just off the charts. Well, I mean, the, the important thing now is is their development of, of young people. I mean, with the St. Julian uh, Scholarship or the Marshall mm. Holders Scholarship now and their, and the Marshall Holders Aspiring Leaders uh, Diploma is, is, is paying, you know, is, is making a huge contribution to the development of the next generation of leaders, and and they do more in, in in on the leadership side than anybody else, and it's just going from strength to strength, and and of course the general managers conference, which till this year is held every January, and that is you know that's an important part of the of the Martian holders calendar now. Yeah, I mean you're talking, you know, four or five hundred people attend the conference. Yeah, I can imagine it's um, it's one hell of an event. Yeah. So eighteen years in Torquay, um, yeah. And was this the point where you you got the call for for Lucknow? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. It's, 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 no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> this is what happens when you don't have uh, the information readily readily available yeah, in the no, public eye. No. I, I I got a call from South Africa, from an old colleague in South Africa called Billy Gallagher, who was Mr. Chef in, in, he'd been president of the World Chefs Association, started his career at the Dorchester. And Billy Gallagher was food and beverage director 
of Southern Sun. Right. And he was with the chairman of South African Breweries. And he called me at the Imperial and said, we have an opportunity for you in South Africa. We, you, your reputation still stands here 18 years later. Wow. Would you and your wife like to come for a holiday? And we went to South Africa for a two-week holiday, starting in Johannesburg, where we stayed at the Santon Sun and Towers. We then went from Santon Sun and Towers to the Beverly Hills in Durban or in Schlanger Rocks, which is about nine or 10 miles outside Durban. And then from Durban to Cape Town, where we stayed at the Cape Sun Hotel, which is a magnificent uh, 300 room hotel in the center of, of Cape Town with glass lifts on the outside. And we stayed there. And then the managing director of Southern Sun met me there and said, right, you've been to Santon Sun and Towers, you've been to the Beverly Hills, you've been to Cape Town, which hotel would you like to manage? Uh -huh. And really, there was only one choice. And, and that was the Cape Sun. Yeah. So we completed our holiday. And we went back uh, home, and I resigned. And we went to the Cape Sun. And it was just as Mandela had become president. Okay. So, right, so we're into the 90s now. So we're now 94. Yeah. And that's when Andrew Coggins came because I was right. then looking for a resident manager because within a very short period of time, I made it quite clear my style of management that all people would be treated as equal. And when I arrived at that hotel, you had a number of white managers who didn't think there was any change since Mandela had become president. Right. They felt that the hotel should be still running the same way. And what was interesting, Phil, is that the head office, which was based in Johannesburg, the head office personnel didn't stay at the hotel because they were, they were fed up with staff moaning and groaning about how the hotel was run. So they stayed really? in, they also owned Holiday Inns. So they stay at the Holiday Inn around the corner. Right. And what was interesting is that within 12 months, the hotel was voted Hotel of the Year because we completely turned it round. And it was turned round because, you know, we, 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 we completely changed how the hotel was run. Mm. And it, it it had a it had a strong union, and the union was 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 run by an African who whose father had been in Robin Island with with, with Mandela, oh. and and you know he 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 was quite tough, but once you know he knew how I would run the hotel, he he, he softened and and we and we became friends, yeah, but. The most exciting thing for me during that period was that President Mandela would come to the hotel sometimes twice a week. Right. And 
And this was probably, you know, this was the most inspiring period of my career because when he spoke to you, you felt you were the only person in the room. Yeah. I mean, his his style of leadership was just unbelievable. And I always re- will remember, and Andrew Coggins probably remembers as well, but I will always remember receiving a call to go uh, because, as you probably know, government is run, you know, six months in Pretoria, six months in Cape Town, and, and, and it was Cape Town. No, I didn't know that. And I, I was invited to, to his office, and I went over to his office and, and was asked by his personal secretary, is, is your banqueting suite available? This was a Monday. Is your banqueting suite available next Tuesday? And I, I was almost sure it was, but I said, let me just check. And I phoned the hotel and they said, yes. And I said, yes, it's available. Can we reserve it? I said, of course. And I said, what is the occasion? And they said, uh, the president is hosting a banquet for Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> oh, crikey. <laughs> I mean, one week's notice. Yeah. And I mean, I'd done events for royalty before and I knew the protocol. I mean, normally all the staff are checked. They, you know, they come into the hotel, they check all the records, menus have to be agreed. But the, the answer was the president is the host and he will choose the menu and so forth. Yeah. Anyway, to cut a long story short, they, they left the menu to me and we, we um, hosted this banquet for 500 people, which included 13 chiefs from all over the country, all in, 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 in full costume. Mm. And that was probably, you know, one of the most memorable occasions of, of, of my career was hosting a banquet. And what, what many people don't know, I mean, the Royal, Royal Yacht was in the harbour. And what many people don't know is that the value of the Royal Yacht and the value of the Queen when she goes abroad, because with her go three or four cabinet ministers and the CBI. Yeah. And they're selling this country. You know, they're yeah. selling the wares of this country. And I, I was, as a result of that banquet, I was actually invited onto the Royal Yacht and met many of these industry leaders. And it just sort of demonstrates that how important that that you I know I know it was criticized but it does an invaluable job you know you the CBI and 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 I mean that's that had gone on for years and years around the world mm. but yeah very very sort of exciting time not uh not, not bad for a, a lad of 13 with a vision no <laughs> goodness gracious yeah Oh, so three years then, as I say, Andrew Coggins came out and then he, he went to the Beverly Hills as general manager from the Cape Sun. And uh, quite a number of other young managers came out to the, to, from, from the UK at that time. And, um, but Cape Town was, was enjoyable. I was there three years. But we have three sons and, you know, they, they, uh, two of them were still at university my oldest son was working at J.P. Morgan, and it, it wasn't wasn't an easy time for my wife to be away uh, from the family. Yeah. So when I got a call from a headhunter to say that Lucknow Park was looking for a managing director, that was 1997. I decided to accept, and. Um, 
what was interesting is I was on the board at that stage of, of Southern Sun and, and I, I went to a board meeting. I actually flew across to the UK for the weekend and was interviewed by the owners of Blackman Park, accepted the job, went back to a board meeting on the Monday morning, <laughs> having flown through the night and resigned. And I always remember the chairman because when I told him it had 42, I was going from 300 rooms to 42 rooms. He actually said to me, what will you do after lunch? I'll always remember those words. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and of course, when I got to Luttenham Park, I mean, there's no such thing as what do I do after lunch? Because it's a completely different type of hotel yeah. where you get involved with far more far more detail and far more things. I mean, at the Cape Sun, I had 17 executives and, you know, you, you delegated far more. And, uh, you know, you, I mean, if you've got three or four banquets going at once, I mean, you can't, you can't do the same job as, as a 42 bedroom hotel. Yeah. But, um, but I've, you know, sort of then was managing director of Luckman Park. I mean, Luckman Park was four black stars. So again, it's back to vision. My vision was to make this the best country house hotel in the UK, yeah. to take it into Reliant Chateau, to get five red stars from four black stars. And I shared, I did nothing for six months, but I shared that vision with the owners because it's important the owners support that vision. Yeah. Shared that vision with the team. And together, I mean, the hotel became a member of Relian Chateau in, in 2000. And then within a very short period of that time, we got five red stars. And then the real sort of, sort of achieving the vision was in 2010, the hotel was voted Independent Hotel of the Year at the Cates, yep. um, an independent AA Hotel of the Year in 2010. And that's when I became chairman of Luckman Park. So in 2010, I became chairman and I'm still the chairman. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm lucky enough that I've, I've had a couple of visits to, to Luckman Park. I've never stayed in a bedroom, but I have. Um, it's handily, it's a nice place to, to stop for lunch uh, along if you're traveling along the M4. That's what I've always found if you're heading down to Cornwall or, or something like that. And in fact, we did that a couple of weeks ago, as you well know. Yeah. But the, the one thing that I remember above everything else, I have never had a better spa experience Good. Than, than at Luckman Park. Good. Well, the spa was a major change. I mean, again, you know, the hotel, when I arrived in 97, it had a 10-meter pool, a little sort of almost sandwich area where the current spa is now. Yeah. And what the owner wanted was a world-class spa. And believe me, I mean, we, we started, it opened in 2008. I mean, it, it was two years in the making because when we went to planning where the pool is, they wouldn't allow the height of the spa to be above the height of the wall that runs next to, to where the... the really? The, the right. current power, which seemed incredible because there's a roof where the brasserie is there's a roof but they wouldn't allow a roof on the new spa so we had to dig and it's rock right so that, that almost that almost took a year of digging to 
not only put the pool in, but the plant below the pool. Yeah. And so consequently, you know, it, it took longer than we wanted it to. But what we did do, which you may have seen when, when you popped in, but we, we, we had a model made. I mean, I'll always remember the model cost £11,000, but it was worth every penny because right. it showed you every detail, the treatment rooms, the pool, the saunas, the gymnasium, the brasserie, every detail. So when all the customers were coming during the period that, that the spa was being built, uh, they could actually see. And customers, what is interesting, I've always found customers are interested in what you're doing. And 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 it's it's important to share with them what you're doing. Yeah. And every, each time they came, is we we told everyone in advance that we were building the spa, that there might be noise. We didn't lose any customers as a result of being honest. Um, Funny that. And and what was interesting was that I was more sensitive to the noise than the customers. Yeah. So <laughs> I got to the stage where I was the only person that could stop the building. And I only stopped them if a customer complained. Because, as I say, I was more sensitive. So if I if I heard the noise, you know, I was I was I tended to go. But I thought, well, if the customers are not complaining, why why should I stop them? Yeah, yeah. If they're drilling out rock, yeah, uh, as well, that's that's going to be heavy vibration, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not that I'm a construction specialist. I have to uh, no. caveat that, but. But yeah, I mean, it, it. Well, in your time there, it has got it's it's transformed completely. Well, again, total team effort. I mean, Hal Jones has been there. You know, he, he's he's held a, a Michelin star for sixteen years. I mean, I'll always remember interviewing Hal, who you know he he worked at the Mandarin Oriental in uh, London. He opened pharmacy for the artist, but came down that drive and said he pinched himself coming down the mile-long drive, and he's still there 16, 17 years later. And, you know, Hal's done a great job because he's helped to develop Michelin star chefs in various hotels in, yeah. in the UK. And um, comes back to what I was saying, he, you know, he treats them with great respect. He helps develop them, puts them forward for, you know, we've had one Rue Scholarship winner from, from Luttenham. We've had... Uh, annual awards of excellence from Lutnam, all, all due to to how you know sort of helping to develop them and and inspire them to to you know to 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 go for awards. Yeah, and you know this is this is why I think you know as an industry, this is what we've got to do. We we've, we've got to create career paths for everyone, give them the opportunity because it is it is an industry where you can go. From kitchen porter to general manager, and and we've got many, many sort of case studies where that has happened. Absolutely, I, I mean the the barrier to entry to come on in is pretty much if you've you know if you're good with people and you've got a good attitude, yeah, then we'll yeah. we'll fill in the blanks. Yeah, no, no, it, it is it is an industry where you can do that, and and as I say, there are many case studies where that that has happened. Yeah. I I was uh, always I had unlike you I didn't have a clear vision when I was uh, a young man I had a decent attitude that got better with time and um, I was amazed that when I landed my first kind of real job he says in inverted commas which is on a cruise ship that I was uh, amazed that you could make progress 
in your career just by having uh, an exceptional attitude to yeah. to the work that you had in front of you. And I mean, that comes down to, I, I think a lot of the time is, is, is people finding the place that's right for them. And, you know, you've found lots of places a, a, across the course of your career, it seems, whereby you felt a connection to to the, the work that you're doing. And that's, that's when really amazing things happen. And, you know, if you, if, if you've got that and then you, you're then leading that ethos uh, into the team, that's very, very infectious place to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I find interesting, I, I, I meet quite a lot of people on LinkedIn who I worked, you know, with over the years and, and quite a number of hoteliers that are my peers became group managers you know they they'd have a dozen hotels yeah uh, under their control it's it's amazing how many uh who are now retired say to me i wish i'd stayed in the unit right it's a completely different job you know you you have a group general manager group md who spends a lot of time in his motor car probably now on on computer because of the virtual meetings but yeah. he, he he doesn't have the buzz of a hotel the buzz of a hotel is just unbelievable when you've got a hotel working on all cylinders when you've got banqueting going i mean the the hotel i opened in johannesburg had had four restaurants it had one called annabelle's which was basically restaurant come nightclub where i've seen elizabeth taylor roger moore all all kinds of people dancing yeah it had a Valley High, which was, you know, where you could, you know, have Asian food and, and so forth. It had a coffee shop and, and uh, you know, and then it had a Barney Bernato's where you had, uh, you know, a full rib of beef coming out of an oven in the room. Four restaurants, a spa, a banqueting, all going, all buzzing, people coming through the front door. I mean... You know, you've got to experience that to to really understand. It. It's very difficult. You you can't bottle that and and give it to a youngster no. and say this is the industry I work in. But that's that's what makes it tick, and that's what you enjoy, and that's that's why you still, you know, all these years later have the passion for the industry. Yeah. Because as I said at the beginning, we're in the happiness business. You're seeing all these people. It's a birthday. It's an anniversary. It's a special occasion. The kids have just got a, you know, just passed an examination, just got their degree. Whatever it is, we're involved. Yeah. And that that's the magic of it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I don't think we can underestimate the uh, the power of what it is to be able to make people feel special. Yeah. And give them that moment uh, of yeah. happiness. Yeah. You know, I, I I would argue that it's the greatest skill on the planet to be able yeah. to do that for for people. And uh, there's a lot, a lot of other other industries that could learn uh, a trick or two of compassion from from our own industry. That's for sure. But um, but yeah, well, I I can't complete the chat without talking about your your MBE, right? Because I don't get to speak to many people who've been to the palace that have not paid a ticket to to go in and and see it themselves. Talk us through the the experience. Well, first of all, it's the letter. You you get the letter about a month before. Yeah. And when you see the letter, you think it 
it, it almost looks as if it's come from the tax man. <laughs> uh, uh, and then you open it and then it says, it's, it's from the prime minister that says you have been nominated to, to the queen for uh, an MBE and don't tell anybody. Right. You're not allowed to tell him because I suppose what, what they're saying is she may not accept you. Right. So, so you don't tell anyone other than your wife. Yeah. And then you go, and I've got to say, going to the palace is a military operation. I mean, it is, you're allowed to take three people. And I, I've got three sons. One is in Australia. So we took two of the sons, my wife and myself. Mm. And when you, you know, everything is organized. I mean, you arrive at the palace, you, you, they know you to expect you. You arrive, they greet you, they take your coats. And then your wife and your, my sons were, were taken to where they're going to sit and watch uh, the investiture. And then you're taken to a room where you're addressed by the aides. And what, what was interesting for me was in that room was Tom Jones, who I'd met, uh, who had stayed with me 10 days in Johannesburg right. uh, and, and still remembered it. He was getting a knighthood. And the other, the other people was the Beverly sisters. They, they were also getting MBE. And we were all addressed in the same way. This is what you do. This is, you do not put, you know, you do not, you, you, you do not turn your back on the queen. You will be called by name, you will go towards the queen and she will, she will talk to you. And what, what, what is also amazing, they put a clip on, on your top pocket so she doesn't have to fiddle with a bit. It just clips on. Ah, okay. Yeah, so, so it's so easy. Yeah. What is also amazing is while you are doing that, while she is doing that, a photograph is being taken of you that is actually on your computer when you get home. Wow. The image is there when you get home. Right. It's also videoed and you can then send for the video. And then, you know, face, you know, behind you is, they do a hundred at a time. And behind you is, you know, the, the three people that you're at. So there's approximately 300 people there watching you and, and they go through they, they go through all the various categories, you know, the, the sort of, you know, uh, knighthood, MBE, OBE, CBE, yeah. Yeah. 100. And, um, and then when you get outside, there's photographers that takes pictures of you, one with your wife, one with your sons. Um, I had one with the Beverly sisters. I mean, it, it is a military operation and, and, and memorable. Yeah, I, I quite believe it. It's... Mm -hmm. um... And and I suppose as well, it's one of those things that that you 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 can have the 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 clearest vision in the world as to what you want to achieve. But I would imagine that that doesn't come into to play as something that you that you want to go and achieve. It just kind of happens to you because you know you've been you're you're where you're meant to be and you're doing exceptional work. Yeah, I mean, what I've always tried to do is put something back into the industry. So that's why when you see that list there. Uh, you know the Academy of Culinary Art, the Royal Academy of Culinary Arts, the 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 uh, Hospitality Action Springboard. I mean that is my way of saying the industry has been good to me, 
I want to put something back. Yeah. And that's what I've done for most of my career is, uh, you know, I mean, I, I have, a, again, a well-known saying, you don't think, you know, what the hospitality industry can do for you, what can you do for the hospitality industry? A bit like, you know, JFK, you know, the, 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 you know what can we do for the industry? And, 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 it, and that's a reward in itself, yeah. you know. I mean, tomorrow I start cycling 200 miles for hospitality action to raise money uh, for people, you know, who, who suffered hardship during the pandemic. Yeah. Last year, we did this and we raised £80,000. Now, that's a reward in itself. The fact that there are people out there that are struggling with their mortgage. There are people out there that, you know, uh, have been made redundant. Um, so hospitality action has come in. And I've got to say, under Mark Lewis, during the past couple of years, they've really, you know, sort of made an amazing contribution during yeah. the pandemic. And uh, so, it, you know, those are the sort of things. And I'm very fortunate, the fact that at my age, I'm doing it. It inspires younger people to do it, which is is important as well. Yeah, you you just you can't help yourself, can you? Just inspiring no. people all the time. <laughs> yeah. No, but I the um, I think the 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 great thing here about about your story and your journey is is that there's you know there's two underpinning things that I've I've picked up. One is centered around the vision, which we've talked we've spoken about, but the other is so much around respect, and I think you're getting like you have actually not just treated human beings with respect you've treated this industry with respect and uh, the industry is a much better place for it and i think given now that you're you're able to do all of these things to to give back then you know i i just think respect reciprocates you get back what you put in every single time if your mantra is around respect and kindness then that's what you get back and uh, and and you clearly have that. There's a lot of love for you out there, Harry, and um, and I'm very, very grateful for you to to come and spend some time with me today. Well, I'm sorry it's taken so long to 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 get to to, to this discussion, but I've enjoyed every minute of it, Phil, and I'm enjoying listening to your other interviews and um, learning about you know what you know the journey of other people, which. which you know we're all different absolutely um, and uh, you know it, it it's only recently that i found out that peter barnes who was general manager of the savoy was also from a council house in salford really yeah and and uh, i feel that i i wish i'd known that when he was i mean i i was there in march because we had the umbrella awards and I didn't know then. I only I found out actually from my brother, who had watched the Savoy program and 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 hear about uh, Peter's taking his sons back to Salford to show them the house where he was born. So so right. you know I'm looking forward to to meeting up with Peter at some stage again. He's he's back with Fairmont in in America, but uh, again it sort of demonstrates you know doesn't matter where you come from. Yeah, totally. And I've had a, a couple of chats with uh, some people who who uh, have been brought up on on council estates, and yeah. um, you know they're they're doing exceptionally great things. Yeah, you know, let alone I mean uh, Kelly Rickson, who's 
our current chair of the, the IOH. She talks openly about that as John Dawson and Golden. These are just three that spring to my mind immediately. And I, it's the wonderful thing about this industry. It welcomes all. Yeah. And, uh, and you really can, if you bring the right mindset to the table, you really can achieve wonderful, wonderful things. 100%. Thank you, Phil. Splendid. Thank you, Harry. And uh, and I wish you all the very best for, um, well, wish you best for your bike ride. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and um, yeah, we'll, we'll speak again soon. Okay. Look forward to that. Fantastic. Bye Take bye. care. Bye-bye. And there we have it. What an honour and a privilege it was to get some time with Harry on the show. And I think we can all agree what an inspirational figure he is for our industry. I'll be forever grateful for his time. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.